Well, welcome to our Wednesday night Bible study. Glad that you have joined us. We are in the book of Isaiah. Our Wednesday night Bible study where we go through the Bible verse by verse. Although in the Old Testament we jump through whole chunks of it because we don't want to read it verse by verse. But uh, we're kind of cheating on some of these things. Kind of just giving you the sense. If we did verse by verse with Isaiah, we'd never get out of here. But uh, Isaiah is one of the major prophets in the Old Testament. You've got Isaiah, Ezekiel. I mean, these are the big guys. Uh, Jeremiah had a lot to say. Isaiah um, has uh, some phenomenal prophecies about um, the Lord Jesus. In fact, as I told you already in the study, the prophecies are so detailed and so perfectly described what happened to Jesus that many Jewish scholars who obviously don't want to believe in the Messiah, certainly our Messiah, Jesus, uh, go out of their way to uh, try to explain it away. They jump through all kinds of intellectual hurdles to explain it away. Some even say that, well, what happened was when they wrote the Gospels, as if we sat down, you know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John sat down and made it all up, that they intentionally wrote into the storyline the descriptions from Isaiah uh, to try to deceive the Jews or something. So is their resistance to Jesus. But, uh, you know, otherwise, how can you explain that these prophecies would be so accurate? Of course, you could explain it that Jesus actually is the Messiah, which uh, they don't want to consider. We left off at chapter 9, verse 6, a very famous verse of Scripture. We read every Christmas, for unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. So this is Isaiah prophesying of the Messiah. A child is going to be born. Now, we already have known this from the beginning of the Bible. God speaking of a time, sending uh, a Messiah to redeem uh, mankind. And um, Moses even spoke of it. He says, a prophet, the Lord will send a prophet like me. You know, some, something dramatic in your life. Listen to him. And uh, Isaiah, here again, is speaking. A child is going to be born. Something significant is going to happen. He's really going to be something. Now, in uh, Isaiah in particular, but also as you jump around, look at some of the prophecies of the Messiah, something that kind of confused them. Uh, you see two pictures of a Messiah. One is uh, a picture of a suffering Messiah. The other one is a picture of a great triumphant Messiah. Now, when Jesus came, uh, they were looking for the triumphant Messiah. They were under uh, Roman rule. The Romans were oppressing them. They were occupied. Uh, they were looking for the Messiah, praying, God, send the Messiah, you know, get us out from underneath this, this horrible, horrible burden. Because from the time that they got taken into captivity... Uh, which was uh, happened at the end of, of uh, the uh, book of Kings here that we're reading, Second Kings, where they, God finally had enough and they all went into captivity and they lost everything. Well, eventually God brings them back uh, and they start to rebuild the temple. We'll eventually get to all that. But uh, even from that time on, they never were really sovereign, controlling themselves. They were subject to one ruler or another. And when Jesus came along, it was the Romans and they been like this for hundreds and hundreds of years since their Babylonian captivity. They very much longed for the Messiah to come and deliver them from their enemies. Now, we do have the picture of the conquering Messiah. 
But then we have the pictures of the suffering Messiah. They missed it in Jesus' day because they didn't want to see the suffering Messiah. They were waiting for the, the conquering one. And for all they knew, it was one and the same. It would all happen at the same time. So it's kind of confusing to them. You have to understand, prophecies uh, give us insights. There's benefit from prophecies. But you don't really understand them until you get to the end. It's easy for us to teach about it clearly now because we see Jesus and we're able to go back. Uh, a good example would be the book of Revelation. A little confusing, okay? Now, we can come up with our own ideas and stuff and insights, and we'll eventually, <laughs> if I don't chicken out, get to Revelation and, and take a look at that. But uh, at the end of the day, nobody really knows. You know, everybody says they know, and they're very dogmatic about this means that, and they don't really know. Nobody's going to really know until it happens, and then we go, oh, that's what that meant. And it all makes sense. So they didn't understand, they thought one would be the same, and because Jesus was never the conquering Messiah, they didn't accept him and they rejected him. Um, now, to explain it, what happens is Jesus is coming in two installments, if you will. They don't know this at the time. Well, he came the first time as the suffering Messiah, and we will read that in Isaiah. And that's where it gets real specific on how he suffered and all this kind of stuff. Um, but then he's coming back again. And uh, not too terribly long from now, I would suspect. And when he comes back, this time he's not coming back as the suffering Messiah. He's coming back as the butt-kicking Messiah. And hallelujah, it's going to be a beautiful thing. And uh, we, uh, we actually read about it. If, if you turn, turn over the book of Revelation, we'll, we'll take a little sneak preview here. And uh, jump where only fools tread. <laughs> Revelation uh, verse chapter 19 let's look at that chapter 19 and this is John the apostle and he's writing about this vision that he sees of the end times and again to this day everybody wrestles over exactly what he was talking about but when he gets to the end he's, he's getting pretty specific here about what happens at the very end and he says in verse 11 he says I saw heaven standing open and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. He's talking about Jesus. With justice he judges and makes war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but himself. He's dressed in a robe dipped in blood. His name is the Word of God. Again, a reference to Jesus. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Uh, if our interpretation of that is right, he's talking about us coming with him back. And uh, he saw you and me riding white horses. Pretty cool, huh? Out of his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter, hence the butt-kicking analogy. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God. On his robe are written, uh, on his robe and on his thigh as... He has a name written. I can't read it. King of kings and Lord of lords. That's what's going to rot inside. King of kings and Lord of lords. Don't mess with me. All right. And I saw an angel standing in the sun who cried in a loud voice to all the birds flying in midair. Come gather together for the great supper of God. So that you may eat the flesh of kings, generals and mighty men of horses and their riders. And the flesh of all people free and slave, small and great. And what he's talking about is, is this big Armageddon at the end when the armies of the world come together for the big final battle. And 
but for the intervention of the Messiah returning, everything would be destroyed. Jesus shows up, he just wipes them all out, you know, and the birds chew on them. So anyway, so now chapter 20, verse 1, he says, And I saw an angel coming down out of heaven, having the key to the abyss, and holding in his hand a great chain. And he seized the dragon, that ancient serpent, who is the devil, or Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. Keep in mind that, a thousand years. Now he threw, now I have to understand, Satan, again, as I've, I've talked before, he's not in hell. Everybody says, you know, he's not walking around in hell and stuff. You know, we use the analogy from the pit of hell and stuff. It's talking about coming from satanic inspiration. But the reality, he's not in hell. He's roaming the earth, causing a great deal of trouble. Anybody notice that? All right. Um, but anyway, now they grab him and they lock him up for a thousand years. He's still not thrown into hell. But now he's locked up for a thousand years. Why? What's this about? Well, he threw him into the abyss and locked uh, and sealed it over him to keep him from deceiving the nations anymore until the thousand years were ended. After that time, he must be set free for a short time. Interesting. Why would that be? Well, he says, I saw on thrones uh, on which were seated those who had been given authority to judge. I saw the soul, which, by the way, is talking about us. Uh, Paul writes about us that someday we will judge the angels. He says, and I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their testimony for Jesus and because of the word of God. They had not worshipped the beast or his image. Talking about the last day. They hadn't received a mark on their foreheads or in their hands. By the way, I don't know how many of you read their Wall Street Journal, but they had a big article today on how the entire country of India wants to come up with some kind of a system so they can track everybody in their country. You know, some kind of eye scanning devices or something like that. It's just all a preclude to this anyway they came to life they came to life all these dead people came to life these people not everybody but these people all come to life what people the people who have been born again the people who know christ okay they came to life and they reigned with christ a thousand years we will reign with jesus christ the son of the living god for a thousand years on this planet everybody's waiting for you know it's going to all go away and we're all going to start in heaven. No, 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 no. He comes back some serious butt kicking. And then we will be right here ruling with him on this planet for 1,000 years. I'm not sure what city I'll be in charge of. Probably Nielsville. But uh, <laughs> what a drag. Anyway, uh, uh, now it says the rest of the dead did not come to life until a thousand years were ended. Okay, so everybody else has not been risen yet from the dead. See, you start looking at this, it starts really giving much more detail. I mean, we've all been taught, you know, we're going to die, and someday there'll be the resurrection, and judgment day, and a new heaven, and a new earth, and we'll live in heaven forever. Yes, 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 we're all going to get there. But it's not exactly that simplistic, okay? So there is the first resurrection. And the first resurrection are for those who have been born again, who know Christ as Savior. The rest stay dead. We come back like Now we rule and reign with Christ. Why? Why for a thousand years? Because what's going to happen, and you've heard me preach this many times, that I believe we are in the greatest halftime show in, in eternity. And God is establishing and answering the rebellion that Satan instigated in the first place. That he is in fact merciful. That he is in fact kind. And he's going to use you and me to prove it. But then as the 
cap to the whole deal. He's going to come back and he's going to rule on this earth and on this very earth, not a special earth, not a holier earth, not on this very earth that you and I are on. And for a thousand years, there is going to be great peace. It's called the millennial reign of Christ for a thousand years. And what's going to happen is that will be the final statement where God will show all of eternity. This is what earth should have looked like and will look if you just follow my direction. So it's going to be absolute peace. It's going to be prosperity. It's going to be wonderful. And we're going to get more detail about that as we look at the prophecy of, of Isaiah. So blessed are and holy are those who have part in the first resurrection. Yeah, hallelujah. The second death has no power over them, but they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. This is a big deal. If you've ever heard of the, the millennial reign of Christ in passing, weren't quite sure what they were talking about. This is what it's talking about. He's going to come back. And for a thousand years, we'll show all of eternity what life would have been like on this earth, not in heaven somewhere, this physical earth, for a thousand years. Now, what's going to happen is there are going to be all kinds of people. That, people will still be on the earth. They're not all dead. We will reign as right alongside, and it's going to be an amazing thing. But there will still be physical human beings on the earth. And they will be continue to be born and repopulate the earth. And for a thousand years, there's going to be this glorious thing. Well, now we get to the end, and there has to be judgment day for everybody. Well, you see, at this point, all those people who have been born really have a distinct advantage over those of us in this reign. Why? Because they've never had to deal with Satan. They've never had to be tested. They've never had to go through the stuff you and I that you hate and you wish you didn't have to. And you wish you could just, oh, God, why am I going through this horrible stuff? You're supposed to go through this stuff. You can't get to the next level unless we go through this stuff. And what happens is at the very end, God will bring Satan out, let him loose. And then you would think after having thousands and thousands of years of history, of human history, and Satan, all the destruction, everything that we go through, and then a thousand years of the reign of Christ, absolute glory and peace and tranquility, you would think, you know what? I think God's way is better. Wouldn't you think? But when Satan comes out and he goes and tests, he is still going to get huge amounts of human beings to rebel against Jesus. Which is just unbelievable, inconceivable. That they would do such a thing. And then only this time, you know, they're, and again, they're going to try and bring these big armies and the nations of the world are going to try and fight against Jesus. This time he just squishes them all like a bug and then we're done. You can read it all later in, in, uh, in Jerusalem or in, uh, in the book of Revelation. And then they talk about the second death and the second judgment and, and those who don't know Christ will be thrown into hell for eternity and ugh, pretty nasty. All right, so that's the breakdown between... The time of the first suffering Messiah and the great conquering Messiah. Something that was not clear to them at all. So let's look at chapter 11 back in Isaiah. And we'll take a picture of, uh, he starts talking of this man, this, this person that's coming, that's going to be born, and starts describing him, but very much from a conquering standpoint and what his kingdom is going to be like. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. You remember who Jesse is? David's father. King David. Uh, God made these pro uh, promises to David and his descendants. And out of respect to the father. There's always the respect of the father. So rather than instead of David, they say to the stump of Jesse. Out of respect to the father who gave 
who sired David. And then, and, and you remember when Jesus was here, they would call him, O thou son of David. See, they, oh, they knew who he was. They knew he act, they had the lineage intact. In so anyway, a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse, talking about one of David's descendants is going to come. And from his roots, a branch, capital B, will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of power, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord, and he will delight in the fear of the Lord, which is a means of respecting God. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears, but righteousness, with righteousness he will judge the needy. With justice he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, with the breath of his lips. He will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt and faithfulness the sash around his waist. Now, again, if you don't understand, and they didn't, the difference between Jesus coming the first time and then the second time, they're looking for this Messiah, this guy who's going to have this, this idea that they could take him, arrest him, uh, convict him, and crucify him on the cross. So then was proof that he wasn't the Messiah. Remember they said to him, if you really are the son of God, come down from there. You know, they were ridiculing him. But yet, I think there's a part of them that were just saying, come on, if this is really you. Because they, they missed the suffering part of it. They didn't understand that Christ would have to die for the sins of the world first. And then have this other stuff happen. And then he talks about his reign. A wolf will live with the lamb. A leopard will lie down with the goat. The calf and the lion and the yearling together. And a little child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear. Their young will lie down together. The lion will eat straw like the ox. The infant will play near the hole of the cobra. Why? They don't have to fear. If you notice all this stuff, these are animals that eat each other. If you miss that. And, and what he's saying is they're not going to eat each other. Something is going to happen dramatically. In the earth, this earth, lions on the Serengeti will not be killing animals and stuff. They all of a sudden will be so tamed, transformed, they'll actually, something physical will happen to them. They'll eat straw like an ox. No animals will be killing one another. There will be no more death in the earth like we would think of. Uh, it's, it's a dramatic change. And the young child will put his hand into the viper's nest and play with all the little snakes. Why? It, they won't bite them. Look at the cute little viper. Bobby, put that viper down. You know, I mean, there's not going to be any problems with this stuff. They don't have to worry about it. Uh, they will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain, for the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. What is this incredible time that they're talking about? When you don't understand the conquering Messiah coming back the second time, when you don't understand the thousand year millennial reign of Christ when all this will take place, this is hard to grasp, hard to understand. It's easy for us to sit back and just criticize the Jews because they didn't all accept Jesus as Messiah. But if you've been raised with this picture the whole time not understanding this, you might have had a hard time with Jesus as the Messiah. You know, why didn't he do all these things right away? Obviously, they missed it. Um, fascinating stuff about all this. Uh, pretty wild, huh? And... Uh, in that day, the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the peoples. The nations will rally to him, and his place of rest will be glorious. In that day, the Lord will reach out his hand a second time to reclaim the remnant that is left of his people from Assyria, from lower Egypt to upper. Now, he transitions right away back to the common day. See, that's the interesting thing about these prophets, is they would start talking about, this is what's happening right now. 
Uh, in fact, even coming up to this uh, part of chapter 11 here, he's talking more talking about the Assyrians, don't be afraid of the Assyrians, and, and all that's going to happen, soon my anger will end, and the wrath will be directed toward their destruction, da, 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 da. and all of a sudden, boom, he talks about this guy that's going to come. This guy's going to come and have this incredible reign with glory and peace and, and all this stuff. And then he says, and then the Assyrians and the Egyptians are all going to get theirs, and da, da, da. Well, he goes back to the present day. They're kind of in and out of this uh, as um, they're prophesying uh, to these people pretty wild huh fascinating stuff um now let's take a look at uh let's jump to chapter 42 my timer's not on the wall how long do i got there, it's on that wall. Never mind, I got it. Okay. He's prophesying again. Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight, the chosen one. Again, he's speaking of the Messiah. I will put my spirit on him and he will bring justice to the nations. He will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. In faithfulness, he will bring forth judgment. He will not falter or be discouraged until he establishes peace, justice on the earth. In his laws, the islands will put their hope. This is what the Lord, what what God the Lord says. He who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and all that comes out of it, who gives breath to its people and life to those who walk on it. I, the Lord, have called you to righteousness. I will take hold of your hand. I will keep you. And make you be a covenant for the people and a light for the Gentiles. Again, now he's kind of talking contemporary. And then boom, just like this. To open eyes that are blind. To free captives from prison. And to release from the dungeon those who sit in darkness. Now, is that familiar to anybody? That portion of scripture? Remember, Jesus came along and he stood up in the uh, um, synagogue and he opened up to Isaiah and he started reading this portion that they recognize at this point is this must be a prophecy about opening the eyes of the blind and, and, and setting free the captives and stuff and then when he got done he said in your hearing today this has been fulfilled and they were furious at him they just went crazy because what he was basically saying is I am the Messiah I am the fulfillment of this. This is that part of, part of scripture. that uh, It's actually interesting how well they seem to understand what parts uh, were prophetic and what wasn't. Um, although, as I said before, one of the ways of identifying is by this time they saw everything else around this being fulfilled, but then there's parts that jump out that, that haven't been fulfilled. So it must have been a prophecy. They knew they were prophecies. They didn't quite get it. So Jesus basically, when he got up and said... That the Lord has anointed me to open the eyes of the blind, free captives from prison, to you know all the stuff, and said, you, "I I am the fulfillment of this." Wow, that was pretty strong medicine for them because they thought that was, "How dare you claim to be uh, the Messiah?" Anyway, pretty wild, huh? Hold on a second.
<laughs> Matthew talks about this. I knew it. I knew it. Matthew, the 12th chapter, verse 15. Actually, verse 17. Ah, 15. <laughs> 15, 17, back and forth, back and forth. Matthew 12, 15. Aware of this, Jesus withdrew from that place. Many followed him, and he healed all their sick, warning them not to tell who he was. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. And then he starts quoting what we just quoted, see. Here is my servant whom I have chosen, the one I love and whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him, and he will proclaim justice to the nations. He will not quarrel or cry out. No one will hear his voice in the streets. In other words, he's basically talking about how quietly Jesus did this. See, remember we just read that part where it says, uh, he will not quarrel or cry out. He won't make a big deal about all this stuff. This was Jesus going on healing people and telling them, don't tell anybody. Don't tell anybody. Keep it quiet. It was all as a fulfillment of Isaiah. When Isaiah was speaking these words in, in the spirit, he, he could see this, these events, although who knows what he understood about it, about, about the Messiah. By Jesus' died, by the time that uh, Matthew was writing these gospels, they knew that these were the fulfillment of the prophecies. Actually, it's inter- interesting how many times in the New Testament in the Gospels, they would stop and say, this was fulfilled according to the words of Isaiah. You know, a lot of it was Isaiah, 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 as uh, he spoke these out. Cool, cool, cool. All right, let's look at chapter 49. Take a look at some of the, Listen to me, you islands. Hear this, you distant nations. Before I was born, the Lord called me. From my birth, he has made mention of my name. He made my mouth like a sharpened sword. In the shadow of his hand, he hid me. He made me into a polished arrow and concealed me in his quiver. He said to me, you are my servant Israel, in whom I will display my splendor. But I said, I have labored to no purpose. I have spent my strength in vain and for nothing. Yet what is due me is, the Lord, is in the Lord's hand, and my reward is with my God. And now the Lord says, He who formed me in the womb to be his servant, to bring back Jacob to himself and gather Israel to himself, for I am honored in the eyes of the Lord, and my God has been my strength. He says, It is, is, uh, it is too small a thing for you to be my servant to restore the tribes of Jacob. Uh, uh, to restore the tribes of Jacob, I will bring back those of Israel I have kept. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. This is what the Lord says, the Redeemer and Holy One of Israel, to whom, to him who was despised and abhorred by the nation, to the servant of rulers. Kings will see you and rise up. Princes will see and bow down because of the Lord who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel who has chosen you. This is what the Lord says. He starts talking about the restoration of Israel. This, in, in the time of my favor, I will answer you. In the day of my salvation, I will help you. I will keep you and will make you to be a covenant for the people to restore the land and to reassign its desolate inheritances, inheritances, to say to the captive, come out, and to those in darkness, be free. They will be freed beside the roads and find plat- pasture on every barren hill. They will neither hunger nor thirst, nor will the desert heat or sun beat on them. He who has compassion on them will guide them and lead them beside the springs of water. I will turn all my mountains into roads. The highways will be raised up. 
basically going to flatten everything. See, they will come from afar, from the north, some from the west, some from the region of Aswan, where in the world is, that is, I have no idea. Uh, Shout for joy, O heavens, rejoice, O earth, burst into song, O mountains, for the Lord comforts his people and will have compassions on his afflicted ones. So what Isaiah is doing is, again, how much of this, you know, bits and pieces, it sounds like he's talking about Jesus, but then in other parts it talks like contemporary stuff. Uh, But what he's basically saying is he's speaking to them because he has been talking about this huge destruction that's coming on them and the fall of, you know, into Babylonian captivity and how horrible it's going to be and how stubborn Israel is. And then he starts speaking of this time of renewal uh, that will become upon them. Okay, now, uh, chapter 50. You can see why now we're skipping over all kinds of this stuff. That's too boring. Never mind. Look look at 53. Now we get real specific. Who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot, like a root out of the dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. What he's, again, what he's talking about the, prof, the uh, Messiah is there's nothing really physically about him that is like, wow, here's a really good looking dude or what an attractive guy. You know, so often the movies of Jesus, you know, he's this drop dead gorgeous guy with the long blonde hair and the sparkling hypnotic blue eyes. Ooh, you know, basically looks like a white guy, which didn't make any sense because he's Jewish here. Uh, the thing that I loved about the... Uh, um, uh, Passion of the Christ. You guys have seen that movie? You know, it was almost shocking how unattractive or plain the guy playing Jesus was. You know, it's like, why would they pick a guy like that? It's actually more accurate. We don't know what he looked like, but apparently it wasn't all that dramatic. Okay? And the prophet even spoke of this. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. In fact, he was despised and rejected by man. By men, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. Like one from whom men hid their faces. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely, now now they're really talking about the suffering Messiah. Here's this one, you know, uh, he was despised, he was rejected, familiar with suffering. People actually went, oh man, what does that sound like? When Jesus was being whipped and carrying the cross through the streets of Jerusalem, it's like, oh man, this is gross, this is, this is horrible. And then the, the prophet speaks, surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows. Yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. Again, um, it's getting really specific here. You're talking about, because now after you know the story of Jesus, the fact that he was pierced and stuff, how this person could write this kind of description so far in advance of this happening is stunning. Again, why those who don't want to accept Christianity will say, oh, they must have, they added all that in later or something, you know, uh, make, the, make the gospels appear like he fulfilled this. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds, we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each one has turned to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted. Yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. As a sheep before her shearers is silent. So he did not open his mouth. Who does this sound like? 
Here is Jesus being brought before Pilate and, and all these guys and they're accusing him and he didn't answer them. He was quite, again, these guys thought, well, they wrote it in that way so it would fit up with this thing. I'm telling you, either the Gospels are a complete fabrication and the whole story of Jesus and the way he died as testified to by so many sources is all a complete fabrication or it's amazing how accurately Jesus fulfilled these prophecies. Pierce suffered, silent through the whole thing. All of this he did to take on him the sins of the world. See, the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He becomes the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This is Jesus. All of your sins, all of my sins, all the stuff that must somehow before a holy God, it has to be dealt with. Because if you don't deal with it, then you're not being truly just. You see, God is not like a parent. You know, you tell your kids, stop, I'm going to count to ten. Seven, seven and a half. Seven and three quarters, you know, I mean, and then you don't really do anything at the end and you let it go, you know, bad parenting, by the way. But uh, God is not like that. When he said, if you do this, there will be hell to pay. There had to be hell to pay or he's a liar. You see what I'm saying? I mean, this is, this is the incredible mystery of it all. Because our sins before a holy God demand by his own righteous standard that the punishment must come. Well, hell did. Hell was paid. Judgment did come. What he did is he took all of our sins and laid them upon him. And Jesus, who died for the sins of the world, into the bowels of the earth and breaking out on the third day. I mean, it's all really amazing what God did. But this prophet could see into all this. Uh, by oppression and judgment, he was taken away. Who can speak of his descendants? In other words, he had no children. He was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people was he stricken. He's describing this guy who just had all this horrible stuff just beaten on him. And the, and the death that he suffered. Yet keeping his mouth shut through the whole thing. Which is, how do you do that? And all this was because of the sins of the world. He was signed a grave with the wicked. And with the rich in his death. Now if you will remember... That there was a rich man who came along and took the body of Jesus and put it into his tomb. Again, pretty dramatic. This is what happened. He, he was the grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Uh, so again, these guys would think, well, that probably didn't really happen. They had to put that in there so it would line up with this prophecy. Which is absurd. I mean, you have to really be sick to come up with all this stuff. But I mean, this is amazing how he saw all this so many hundreds of years before Jesus was even born. Though he had done no violence, nor was there any deceit in his mouth, yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and to cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life a guilt offering, he will see his offspring and prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand as we are the children of God. Uh, after the suffering of his soul, he will see the light of life and be satisfied by his knowledge of my righteousness. My righteous servant will justify many, which is what Jesus has done. He will someday come back with a sign on him, King of kings and Lord of lords. The Redeemer, the Lamb of God, taken away the sins of the world. Uh, he will justify many and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore I will give him a portion among the great. He will divide the spoils with the strong. Because he poured out his life unto death. He was numbered with the transgressors. Hmm. Numbered with the transgressors. Does anybody remember that? Remember there wasn't just one cross. There were 
three crosses, and these guys were filthy, rotten murderers and thieves. And Jesus was numbered with the transgressors. I mean, this is it's really rather dramatic when you look at it. For he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. I mean, wow. Wow. Pretty amazing stuff. You got to admit. Very, very powerful. You know, it just popped into my head here. I'll see if I can find it. Maybe someone can help me. When, uh, when the eunuch was going along and he started reading this. Here he is. Ooh, pretty good, Marky. Chapter 8. Acts chapter 8, verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasure of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home he was sitting in his chariot, reading the book of Isaiah, the prophet. And the spirit told Philip, Hey, go down, go down by the chariot, hang out by there. Listen in. And then he ran up to the chariot and he heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet out loud. And he's reading this portion of scripture. And he looks up at Philip and says, Oh, no, Philip says to him, Do you understand what you're reading? And he says, How can I unless someone explains it to me? I don't get it. Again, until you start really understanding who fulfilled this and all the timing some of these prophecies don't make a lot of sense Uh, so he invited Philip to come up and sit with him and the eunuch was reading this passage of scripture he was led from Isaiah 53 that we just read he was led like a sheep to the slaughter and as a lamb before the shearer is silent so he did not open his mouth in his humiliation he was deprived of justice whoa remember that ram through in the middle of the night He didn't really get a fair trial, deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? He has none, for his life was taken from the earth. And the eunuch looked at Philip and he says, Tell me, please, who is he talking about? Himself or someone else? And then Philip began with that very passage of Scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. Jesus was the fulfillment of these incredible prophecies. He was the Lamb of God who took our transgressions. He was the one who was silent. He was the one who was pierced, Isaiah said, crucified on the cross, numbered with transgressors, buried in a grave of the rich. I mean, the statistic, I forget, some mathematician did a run of the the statistical probability that one person would have exactly fulfilled all of that in that chapter. And I forgot what the numbers were. I mean, it was off the chart. That's why either Jesus is the Messiah or they made it all up later just to make it sound like so it would fit in with, with, with Isaiah. That's how dramatic uh, Isaiah, dramatically Isaiah could see. Isaiah uh, also speaks, we'll, we'll, we'll chase down some of these other ones uh, starting next week, talks of, you know, that a virgin would give, you know, uh, would have the baby, um, you know, all these things. It's, it's, it's really, really, truly amazing um, how all of this was fulfilled. Let's, uh, two more verses here, and then we'll wrap it up. Uh, Luke, the 22nd chapter. Luke 22,
Uh, da, 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 let's back up a little bit. This, this is when, uh, verse 34, Jesus says to Peter, I tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times that you know me. And then Jesus asked him, when I sent you without purse, bag, or sandals, did you lack anything? He just asked him, listen, whenever I sent you on a journey, did I take care of you? Did you, did you miss anything? Were you short? He says, no, nothing. He says, but now if you have a purse, take it, and also a bag, and if you don't have a sword, sell your cloak and buy one. As it is written. See, Jesus knew these scriptures and knew it was all talking about him. And Jesus spoke of it as it is written, and he was numbered with the transgressors. And I tell you that this must be fulfilled in me. Jesus was quoting the scripture, again, knowing that he would be numbered with transgressors. Uh, it's really fascinating, all of this. Uh, then uh, one more, Matthew, the eighth chapter. Matthew 8:17. Now let's do 14. Start with 14. Then Jesus came to Peter's house when he saw Peter's mother-in-law lying in bed with a fever. Uh, that's problematic if you were taught that Peter never got married. <coughs> kind of hard to have a mother-in-law if you aren't married right okay for all our catholics just chill out you know well that was a different peter okay let's pretend that's what you think okay came to peter's house he saw peter's mother lying in bed he touched her hand and the fever left her and she got up and began to wait on him when the evening came many who were demon possessed were brought to him and he drove out the spirits with a word and healed all the sick this was fulfilled was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. He took up our infirmities and carried our diseases, which is what we read there in chapter 53 of Isaiah and verse 4. Uh, that's all rather fascinating stuff. Um, next week we will uh, wrap up uh, a couple more verses here in Isaiah, and then we'll go on. It's, uh, it's actually, Isaiah is very, very beautiful. The prose is really beautiful. I certainly encourage you uh, to read it. You all should kind of as a goal read the entire Bible. They've got all kinds of great programs where you can read the Bible in a year and portions of Scripture. and It's, it's, it's very beautiful. But as you can tell, I don't want to go through all of this. Uh, pretty wild. Cool. Okay. We will stop there. See you all next week.